Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. This is your Red Sea Roundup host, Thaddeus Romanski. So happy to be with you this morning on Red Sea Roundup. You're hearing us on Red Sea Catholic Radio, KEDC 88.5 FM in the Brazos Valley, KYAR 98.3 FM in Central Texas, and KINF 107.9 FM in Palestine. If you're listening, we're live this morning. You can call us at 85-LOVE-RED-SEA, 855-683-7332. We'd love to hear from you. It's the month of June. It's the month of the Sacred Heart. It's also the month in which we expect the decision to be handed down in the Dobbs case at the United States Supreme Court. There's been a lot of uh, upset and activity, uh, consternation, over the leaked release of that potential decision. And to help us sort through some of that this morning, and especially its implications in the state of Texas, is the CEO and founder of the Texas Alliance for Life, Dr. Joe Poyman. Good morning, Dr. Joe. Good morning. How are you today, sir? Terrific. It is great to be on your show. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And then I just want a quick plug. We're going to have on in the second part of the show a wonderful lady you introduced me to when I was at the your luncheon, uh, Debbie Jolke with the Embrace Life uh, organization. So she's going to be on to talk about pro-life and black Texans. Yes, she is one of our bosses. She's on the board of Texas Lines for Life. We have 19, and she is also the founder of this wonderful organization she'll tell you about, Embrace Life Initiative, which is an outreach to the community of people of color. Yes, indeed. And uh, I want to talk about something that the Texas Alliance for Life has been a, a part of for a number of years now, I believe. That's the Walk for Life that's, that's coming up, correct? Yes, our Walk for Life is on Saturday, June 18th. It's, it's a very important event for us. It is a two-mile walkathon, and it allows um, us to raise money for our outreach, educational activities about the um, educating unborn uh, people about the value of the unborn child and other vulnerable people. It allows us to file friend of the court briefs in those cases, like the Dobbs case, where our pro-life laws are being attacked. By uh, in the courts, and we use it to promote compassionate alternatives to abortion. Awesome, Joe. How can people get involved with the Walk for Life or find out where one is taking place? We have six in Central Texas. Unfortunately, we don't have one in the Bryan College Station or the Waco area or Palestine right now, but um, we do have six in Central Texas, and or people can walk on their own. It's a simple way where people get sponsors for their from their friends people at work, family members, and so forth, they can walk two miles at one of the sites or on their own, and we collect the money. They can go to our website, texasalliancefullife.org, and get more information about the event. Maybe they want to sponsor somebody who's walking. We have um, more than 100 right now, or maybe they want to walk on their own. Uh, it's a great way to help build a culture of life in Texas. Wonderful. 
Wonderful. Thanks for telling us about that. And what's what's y'all's website again? One more time. TexasAllianceForLife.org. Okay, and that's where you can go to find out more information about the Walk for Life specifically. Now uh, let's turn to can you can you fill our listeners in on what's the state of the pro life movement in Texas since we last had you on? I believe in January after the Texas March for Life. Well, so much has changed because. We all know that uh, 50 years ago, nearly 50 years ago, the Supreme Court blocked the pro-life laws in Texas that protected unborn babies from abortion. That law dated back to 1854. And um, that was Roe v. Wade, 1973. And there's a case before the Supreme Court that potentially calls into question whether states can ban abortions, can protect unborn babies, even as early as conception. That case, as you mentioned earlier, is called Dobbs, Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. There was a Pennsylvania, I'm sorry, a Mississippi law that protected babies from 15 weeks onward. The Supreme Court decided to take a challenge to that case, uh, to that law. And as a consequence, they even asked they're going to address whether any law banning abortion by any state could be constitutional. Now, um, we had a leaked draft opinion. The opinion was written in early February. The the leak came out in May, about a month ago, Mm -hmm. and it got everybody talking because the brief was sensational. Um, That It's just a draft, and uh, we don't know how many, what's going to happen when an opinion is released, but the initial brief gave us tremendous hope because it did turn the question back to the states and would allow Texas to protect unborn babies from abortion as early as conception. Now, we are waiting day by day for the Supreme Court to release their opinion. Um, It's almost, um, it's just we're on pins and needles. Um, We don't know what the brief will say. We don't know how many votes there are for the pro-life position. But it is our hope, um, you know, that that, um, or let me just say this, it is possible that the Supreme Court could release an opinion that is consistent with that draft. And if that's the case, that would be, it would be uh, a 50-year dream and hope becoming reality. Yeah. And let's, let's be clear that that draft opinion would, <clears throat> would basically do the status quo ante. It would take us back to the state, the state of the country, essentially, before Roe v. Wade. It's not it wouldn't do, doesn't look like probably an opinion would come out that would swing the pendulum all the way the other direction, which would say, you know, banning abortion everywhere throughout the entire United States. I think that's, I think a lot of people are not clear about what the, at least the draft decision indicates would probably be the new reality, right? That's absolutely correct. It The draft opinion did not create a right to life in the Constitution. The draft opinion is basically neutral on whether um, a state can protect unborn babies for abortion by law, when they, whether they can be. And it would be back up to the states. Texas is positioned to protect unborn babies from yeah, talk about that. abortion. Yeah, talk about that. Well, yeah. And, and, and let me just say that other states have gone in entirely the opposite direction and have already made abortion legal throughout pregnancy up to the moment of birth. New Mexico is one of them, New York, some other states, California. It's tragic. But if the Supreme Court does allow states 
to protect unborn babies from abortion, we have two very important laws in play. One we've all heard about, and that's the Texas Heartbeat Act. It went into effect last September 1st, and it turns out it has reduced abortions by about 40%, which is substantial, which is huge. That's uh, thousands of babies who were saved by abortion. Uh, since that time. So that's saved from abortion. You mean same from abortion, (laughs) Save from abortion. That's exactly right. Thank you. The other law we have not heard about. Most of us have not heard about that. And that's called the human life protection act house bill 1280. Right. Also known as the trigger law because it's triggered goes into effect, so to speak, when the Supreme court takes action. And if the Supreme court allows this law would go into effect about 30 days after the opinion, uh, a little bit longer after the opinion comes down, and after that happens, then the Supreme Court, then, then our law would go into effect and completely ban abortion. I, I like to say it completely protects unborn babies from the tragedy of abortion beginning at conception. We haven't seen that since before 1973 in Texas. Right, right. And it's a new law, and it criminalizes abortion for the doctor, makes it a very serious felony offense. The doctor would lose his or her license, could be sued by the attorney general for at least $100,000. It does not criminalize abortion for women, does not make them liable in any respect. So that's what the law does. It's called the Human Life Protection Act. And um, we, I mean, Texas is well prepared. But then alongside that, a year ago, alongside that is then the Texas Alternatives to Abortion law and the funding. Talk about that because that oh, yes, that's incredible. Exactly. Well, at the same time that the state of Texas did pass, that was last last spring, did pass this Human Life Protection Act and the Heartbeat Act, it also appropriated $100 million for the highly successful Alternatives to Abortion program. Now, that's a program that funds uh, nearly 200 pregnancy centers, maternity homes, and adoption agencies across the state of Texas. And they, um, they, those centers are located in urban areas, in s- smaller communities, in mm-hmm. rural areas mm-hmm. uh, across the state of Texas. And they provide vast services for women with an unplanned pregnancy. They, it provides those services like, oh, you know, sometimes simple things like uh, encouragement and moral support, but a lot more frequently like... Um, uh, life skills, how to balance a budget, how to get a job, how to use computers and so forth. Um, sometimes a lot more serious things like helping a woman get free from substance abuse or spousal abuse or even getting free from sex trafficking. Those services are provided that everything a woman needs with an unplanned pregnancy to successfully carry her baby to term, give birth to the baby, place the baby for adoption or keep the baby. And the services continue for three years after the birth of the child. Three years. So Texas, and, and that program is serving 150,000 women every year. And that compares very well to the number of abortions that were performed in Texas before the Heartbeat Act went into effect, which is uh, 54,000. So three times more women this pr- program would serve than, than our abortions were occurring before any of our laws substantial laws went into effect. That's outstanding. It's a fantastic program. That's outstanding. So, wow, Joe, thank you for this fantastic update. We've got about three minutes left in this segment. We really appreciate you coming on in a time that's uh, very busy and uh, very, 
very uh, tense in a sense and delivering this great pro-life news about uh, what's going on here in the state of Texas. And we're going to keep you guys in prayer and we'll have you back on, I'm sure, after the decision is released, whatever that is. Thanks. It's only going to get more exciting. And um, we have, you know, this is the first chapter of the pro-life movement in Texas is coming to an end. Right. Getting this law passed and it going into effect. And we may be the next chapter, which may be even more difficult, which is to provide uh, a culture of life in Texas where no woman feels she has to seek abortion, either in Texas or out of state. That she just, abortion is unthinkable because she understands that the child's an unborn baby and she has all the resources that she needs to successfully carry that pregnancy to term. That's our goal. Amen. We're standing with you, Joe. Thank you for your time. Go to uh, TexasAllianceForLife.org, correct? That's correct. All right. Support them. Support their work. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. All right. So that was Dr. Joe Poyman of the Texas Alliance for Life. We've uh, gotten to talk to him a lot more over the last uh, year or so and had him on the radio, and I really enjoy hearing from him and what what a what good things are happening on, on that front. And we're going to hear more from the pro-life movement from Debbie Jolke on the other side of the program who has founded EmbraceLife.org, and she works specifically with delivering a pro-life message in, to black Texans, to people of color in the state of Texas. Hey, can I mention one thing? Yes, you can. How are you doing, everybody? This is Dennis Maka, uh, president of Red Sea. We're very happy to announce that we're having our first ever Family Retreat in Central Texas in Waco on July 30th. Registration's available now at our website, redcradio.org forward slash retreat. You can click on the banner that says Together. That's the theme of the event. It's called Together because we're going to talk about how families can pray together, play together, and be on mission together. We've got a great lineup of speakers, great events for children and uh, young adults, and uh you know, we want people to sign up. So registration is available now for the Together Family Retreat. First time ever in Central Texas. Register now for the July 30th retreat, redcradio.org. And we also want to tell you that through June, June 30th here in the Bryan College Station area is early registration for Victory Sports Fall Leagues in football and flag, and flag football and volleyball. Go Registrations to, are coming in. Go to victoryyouthsports.org to register now to play for your parish this fall in volleyball and flag football. We'll, we'll be on the other side with Debbie Jolke just in a minute. Lots of great things going on. Stay tuned for part two of Red Sea Roundup. Okay, welcome back to Red Sea Roundup. This is your host, Thaddeus Romanski. You're listening on KEDC 88.5 FM in the Brazos Valley, KYAR 98.3 FM in Central Texas, Lorena, Waco, and KINF 107.9 FM 
in Palestine. You could also be listening to us online at redsearadio.org slash KEDC or slash KYAR. Or you might be listening to us on our app that you can get in the iPhone App Store or the Google Play Store for Android. Lots of ways to listen to our great Catholic content. In the first part of the show, we talked to Joe Poyman, the founder and director of the Texas Alliance for Life. And uh, now we get to also speak to one of his board members, uh, a very charming lady I got to meet at a, a luncheon back in April, I believe it was. Debbie Jolke, welcome to Red Sea Roundup. Well, thank you, Dr. Romansky. Oh, that's too kind. You don't need to t- be calling me Dr. Romansky this morning. That's very kind of you. I had the great fortune of meeting you, like I said, at an Alliance for Life luncheon. And I just wanted to I wanted to get you on the air to talk about your organization that you founded, Embrace Life, and also some of the challenges of uh, black Texans and, and people of color in those those communities and getting them to embrace a, a message of life. So welcome to the show. Well, once again, thank you. And I'm really honored to have this opportunity to speak with our audience today. Well, can you um, can you tell us how you got involved in in pro-life work and and just, you know, you can go back as far as as you want to. Sounds awesome. I grew up in a small town, rural, um, northeast of Dallas, and we grew up or I grew up Catholic. We were the only black Catholic family in our community. Wow. So learning early about um Catholicism was really something important to my parents. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, um, uh, they uh, became Catholic after being Baptist. And uh, all I know is Catholicism now. Okay. So needless to say, it was very interesting uh, in that community of learning about God. And the one thing that my parents instilled in us was, we were made in the image and likeness of God. And to grow up during that time, there was, you know, in Texas, especially still a lot of racism. And, and um, so therefore we learned to love individuals as human beings Mm -hmm. and that everybody was made in the image and likeness of God. Mm -hmm. So in doing so, I love children so much that I became a registered nurse Okay. Uh, because I didn't like children suffering in any form or fashion. I wanted to be able to help them, and I wanted to hurry up and do it. I didn't. I wanted to be a doctor, but it would take too long. So I decided, being a nurse, I could still do as much as a doctor could do. So sure, sure. I became a registered nurse, of course. And then, as I was working in the hospitals and emergency rooms and doctors' clinics and offices, I realized that so many families just didn't know how to take care of their children. So guess what? I went back to school and decided to become a social worker. Okay. Because I wanted to help the whole family by educating the family on what they needed to do to help take care of their children. (laughs) Little did I know at that time what that truly meant. But moving on, as um, uh, we talk about pro-life, uh, that's all I've ever known. And culturally in our, our um, family and around, I mean, we had our children. Right. And of course, 
truly believing in the fact that it does take a village to raise a child. Mm -hmm. And so therefore the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles, even the neighbors, everyone in the community rallied around that gift from God. Yes. And so therefore we helped raise uh, that child in the community. So always been pro-life in essence. And therefore uh, moving forward started, um, getting involved here in, in uh, the Austin, Central Texas area with some of the uh, movements, such as you just mentioned before, uh, Texas Alliance for Life. Mm-hmm. Um, I started out with uh, John Paul II Center as an advocate, working, helping women who would come in um, that was abortion-minded, but after doing the uh, sonograms, uh, and them actually seeing there is a life, and yes. that's the life that they have created. Yes. It really changed their minds immediately, okay? So the majority of those women chose life after that. But then I realized there were not as many women of color coming in. Mm-hmm. I didn't know why. And so I started doing a lot of research, and we got a lot of uh, data and information regarding uh, women of color. And one of the key things was that we were having more abortions than um, any other race. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? How could we possibly be, you know, when the number of women we're seeing are are not um, uh, women of color? Mm -hmm. So my director, executive director at the time, uh, really gave me a um, documentary and told me to go watch it. And in doing so... I was just blown away, I mean, honestly, in tears to find out that this was the agenda. And we'll talk a little more about that later. But I could not believe that this was not something being talked about and and really people doing all they could to save these lives. In can the I, can I um, interject and, and ask, a, make kind of make a comment? Um, it, and it also sounds like your experience working through the John Paul II Life Center and what what you discovered in that work, it kind of flew in the face of what you knew from your own your own experience in your family and your extended family, your your community that you grew up in that you described as is so pro life through and through, so so much uh, welcoming that gift of of new life, and yet here you found there was this this other experience of uh, women of color having abortions at, at, at a much higher rate than, than other populations. Is that, is that, what was that? That was, must've been very jarring for you. I imagine. It was, I mean, I was just startled. I, it was just hard, so hard to believe uh, when you ask people of color exactly what's the leading killer of, of people of color, especially in the black community, uh, they would say things like uh, heart disease, diabetes, you know, uh, gangs, drugs, all of those things that they had no clue that no, it's abortion. Mm -hmm. It's the leading cause of death in the black community. Mm. And in terms, all of those other things, whether it's 
high blood pressure, whether it's strokes or heart disease, all of those put together, we're having more abortions. And then to learn with all of that, including all of the men that were killed during the Vietnam War, okay, we're having more abortions than that. And right. that was just mind-boggling to right. me. Right. So, so therefore, I, so it, yeah. So how did you? So you were your heart was was rent, and you were. I would imagine you were uh, distraught, or or maybe hopeless for for some time. But how did you? How did you then carry on and and move forward? What did you do next? Well, at that time, I started asking questions about the church. Because in the black community, normally that's where we would find that the pastors would spend time making sure that the church understood the importance of life and Mm. especially the wound. And so I was not finding that in the black community that there were a lot of pastors that were openly talking about this. Really? So therefore, I was like, okay, why is that not happening? Now, see, that's news to me, Debbie. I, I would not have expected that. It would have, uh, from, from what I have, you know, the African-American history that I've, that I've studied, I would have expected that the church would have been the one place maybe where that message was being delivered. And you're telling me that, that actually, no, that's not, that's not the case, at least not recently. That is true. And there are a number of reasons why that that is not the case. And that was what blew me away as well, because when I grew up, that was what was happening. You, you know, you hear it from the pulpit, and right. therefore uh, you would try to live that type of life in right. essence. Um, after being given uh, the documentary uh, and my uh, watching it and realizing somebody needs to do something op- openly, um, I came back and talked to my executive director who pointed me to the fact that uh, God was calling me to mm. be that voice mm-hmm. for the uh, ones who couldn't speak for themselves. And mm-hmm. I was like, not me. I'm not a public speaker. I'm not a <laughs> pastor. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a politician. Right. You know? I'm just a nurse and a social yeah. worker. Just Yes, yes. We all know that God equips the call and... I prayed about it and discerned and realized that I could not stay silent. I had to do something. So that's how Embrace Initiative uh, was born, through just a tiny seed that God planted in my heart many, many years ago. So when was it? When was Embrace founded, kind of formally? And, uh, formally in uh, 2014. Okay, so it's very, very young. It has, yes. it, it has lots of... Uh, Lots of time to still to still make an impact. You guys are just you're just getting started. We really are. With God guidance, uh, I've been led to collaborate and partner with the churches, the various pregnancy resource centers, the adoption agencies, the maternity homes, and our uh, community leaders and politicians to provide support for women and families faced with unplanned parent pregnancies, as well as. Uh, helping them to come to an alternate decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, working in a pregnancy resource center is something that's important for people to know. Joe kind of uh, brought that up too during his conversation with his uh, uh, actual walk for life and yes. how that is going to help benefit 
uh, individuals who have these unplanned pregnancies. But our whole agenda with Embrace Life has to do with going back and looking at um, uh, life in general and what uh, women and men are faced with as far as life is concerned. Yeah, can let's let's talk about that. Give us give us kind of the the contours of the the abortion or the pro life issue among. Uh, black Texans among Texans of color. Um, what are what are the rates of abortion? What are the reasons? What are some of the the circumstances that lead to uh, that disproportionate rate of abortion that you talk to? Kind of go into that a little bit more for our listeners, please. So our pro life movement is evolving, as you heard, and becoming more holistic as we prepare to support our families through whole life. And so we're talking about before pregnancy, uh, what God has called us to do as a family, Mm -hmm. and then during pregnancy and after. And that is if the woman or the man decides to parent their child. And those are things that we are, are working diligently on in educating our community about. There's an increasing awareness of the need in the pro-life movement to empower our community of color to transform their conversation, which are centered around abortion, specifically in the black community. It's not enough for pro-life activists to discourage abortion in the black community or even point to the racist origin of the abortion movement without the acknowledgement of the many layers that contribute to black abortion rates still today. And the black abortion rate is uh, we're uh, about 14% of the population and having about 38% of the abortions in the black community. That's just incredible. Can I, can I pause you? Can I pause you there again? And, and so there's this rate that's way out of balance with the proportion of the population. Um, and you, first talked about the racist origins of the abortion movement. And let's set that aside for a moment. And you also talked about the, um, the challenges that are, that are there, the, maybe the material challenges to um, black families, mothers and fathers, women and men, uh, carrying that pregnancy through to, to term. Talk about some of those things and then we'll come back and talk about the origins of the abortion movement. But talk about some of those material challenges that, that, are, that are just realities on the ground that need to be faced. Okay. Well, mainly understanding that resources have not always been available or that families have not always known where the resources are and what they are. Uh, a lot of times the uh, abortions are because of financial uh, uh, challenges that individuals are having. And we're not just talking about finances and jobs. We're talking about um, overall what's going on with um, uh, child care, mm-hmm. transportation, mm-hmm. housing. So economically, all of these things play a part in in the woman making that decision. And of course, during that time, it's usually a a crisis decision that they're making. They they don't know how and where and what to do and where to go. And and the first thing they know to do is Google Mm. and what comes up first is Planned Parenthood. Right. 
And a lot of times Planned Parenthood has already established a relationship with these women. And so therefore they go there first and, and are convinced that this is the best thing for them and their lives in order to carry on. And it's not. There are resources out there uh, that are available. Uh, you heard Joe talk about at the pregnancy resource centers that those resources there help that woman through her pregnancy after her pregnancy, and also uh, up till the child is three years old, with valuable things that they may need. Have you, Debbie? Have you? Side. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Have you found that that um, you said that Planned Parent Planned Parenthood already has made a relationship with these women? Have you found that is that because uh, the school system, the social safety net, uh, maybe? Uh, job training opportunities, those kinds of organizations that Planned Parenthood essentially kind of has its hands in those organizations. And so it's, it's women are being directed to Planned Parenthood when they, when they interface with the, with when they're in school, when they're interfacing with the social safety net, um, that that's how that kind of relationship, as you say, is getting established. Does that need to be broken? It definitely needs to be broken. Planned Parenthood has tried to start establishing relationships in elementary schools, wow, middle school, and high school with their sex education curriculum. Mm-hmm. What third grader needs to know this? But needless to say, not only um, understanding that they market themselves as healthcare. Right. Right. If a woman has an issue or something, they can go there because it's called Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. They are helping them to plan is how they put it. And health care is how they put it. And so, therefore, when they're in crisis, well, they've already been there for maybe uh, birth control pills or maybe they had an STD or something to find out what they could do to help and then Googling, Googling it, they mm-hmm. find out that they they might can help them. So they go and get all this misinformation mm-hmm. and not all the facts. And that's what we do through Embrace Life is try to educate them on the true facts. And then they make informed decisions. But in making those informed decisions, they need to know that God still loves them. Yes. And we also try to make sure that uh, they are understanding that after they have an abortion, we can also help. But in seeing in the schools and trying to change these things, we must find ways to stand up to Planned Parenthood. They have lots of funding for marketing, and they know how to market to our young people, yes. and to individuals who are are having to make these decisions. They make these women feel like they can't go on and have a life and get through college and, 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 and have their dreams. They can. The other alternative, which we haven't talked a lot about, is adoption. Yes. Finding loving parents. Um, my story is, is I was out at, in the pro-life movement talking the talk about alternatives to abortion. And one of those alternatives is finding loving parents. And so God called my husband and I to become forever parents to four little ones. You've adopted four four children? Yes. God bless you. (laughs) They're all siblings, a twin boy and a girl, another 
uh, little boy who is only 13 months older than his uh, brother and sister, and then an older daughter who is now nine. Wow. And they were in the foster care system. So there's an opportunity for us to, to really realize that there are needs out there for these children and that you as an individual or the mother who feels as though she can't parent that child, she can actually herself find loving parents to be there for their, their child. Whereas a long time ago, back in the days when adoption was totally, you know, um, uh, no one had an opportunity to know where their children went or who adopted their child and all. But now you can have an open adoption. So we're educating parents on that as well. Oh, because you found that sometimes women are un- are unwilling to consider adoption because they they think that they'll never be able to resume a relationship with that child if they give it up and that so that leads to a reluctance that's right okay uh, totally leads to a reluctance you know part of it is a lot of the myths a lot of the things that were seen and told about how children were so mistreated and things of that sort and so uh it's better to uh, abort the child hmm. than to have that child go through this with someone who they don't know but in today's society, you can yourself find a loving family and have that family, and then you can still communicate with your child. You're gifting that child to that family who can't have a child mm-hmm. normally. Mm-hmm. You're gifting that child to a family that's going to provide that child with something you could not. So it's a gift, that, and you've done a wonderful thing for your child by providing a better life that you felt like you couldn't provide. Right. But there are resources out there for you in in either uh, direction, whether you parent or whether you gift that child. And we tend not to talk about giving your child away because in that in the black community, it, it has a different connotation. Sure. It has some so it has some about. it has some difficult historical uh, overtones, yeah. some memory. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And what I, everyone needs to understand is. This goes way back in terms of our families. Right. And when we talk about black families, it goes way back generations to generations of what has happened to the nucleus of family. And yeah, what, elaborate on that. Elaborate on that for us, please. Oh, well, uh, let's think about back in during the slavery time uh, when uh, men couldn't marry That's right. the, the mother of their child. We need to go back and remember there uh, all the things that have transpired in the black community of trusting individuals that that um, separated the family mm-hmm. when men could not be a part of of the family mm-hmm. if the family needed subsidies needed help to even though the man may be working or whatever they could not stay in the home so then they broke up the families. Even though now men a lot of times are still parenting and in the home, but we don't know that. Mm. When I say we as a society are not because these things were taught uh, generation after generation of not understanding now uh, because they were not parented by a mother and father in the home. 
And so, so what you're, learn. I think what you're trying to, to educate us on is that there were, are you, are you saying that there were some of the government social programs were designed, um, that the aid was only going to be given if the, if the father wasn't in the home. And so that was kind of like a perverse incentive to break up the family. Definitely. You have that correct. Okay. That is exactly what I'm trying to say is that that was the total agenda. Therefore the government would control exactly what you did or didn't do because you had to feed your child. Mm -hmm. And therefore the men got off with, okay, I can't do this in terms of being responsible for my child and parenting my child. Mm -hmm. And so backed off. So behaviors are learned as we know. Yes. And, and, and it's passed on from generation to generation. Mm. And there's still a lots and lots of disparities in terms of the black community. And those disparities come from resources that are truly available in the community. We talk about it as pro-life, that you can do this or that or the other, but we're not totally invested in working with the black community to change the things that we know we need to change. And, and what, are some, what are some of those things um, specifically, and maybe how is, how is Embrace looking to, to address that? Well, some of the things is education, truly being able to help them know where the resources are, what the resources are, and that it is okay to parent your child. It is not the, the shame and guilt that goes along with uh, becoming pregnant with, before marriage. Um, yes, that is God's plan. But God also knew that baby in the womb. Mm-hmm. He knew that that was going to be a gift. And therefore, you're having this child. God has a plan for that child. And so trying to help others understand that and to talk about that, and especially in the churches, because women we work with all the time talk about the shame and guilt that they feel when they uh, the church community find out they're pregnant out of wedlock. Mm. You know, they are shunned and, and made to feel like they're less than and whatever, mm-hmm. rather than shower them with love that they do have a gift from God and let's help you understand God's plan. And then maybe this doesn't happen again. But because we are not as open, we're not as warm welcoming and and helping this woman in this environment it repeats itself and that is part of what we're trying to do as embrace life is to educate that woman beforehand right before she gets pregnant about her body being the temple of god Mm -hmm. but we're not judging by no means we're doing it in a very loving manner then as as uh we talk not only to the woman, we're talking to the men as well. We have a a, a, a director who oversees the embrace men. Okay, now that's that's very men. exciting to me. Now talk about what is what does that specific uh, ministry look like? It the, that specific ministry is talking to these young men who really would like to parent their child. A lot of times, what people don't know is a lot of times these men can't parent their child. 
the mother of that that child will not allow the father to be involved with the child. Mm. And also, when we're talking about abortion, the men don't get a chance to go and sign a piece of paper that it's okay, even though some of them are encouraging. But all men are not, black men are not encouraging the abortion. They would parent, but they don't have that opportunity. They don't have that right, even though it takes two. They don't have that right. So that would be a legal change, right? If if, if there would, if yeah, that's going to sort of be a non-issue once, if if the Dobbs decision is what it is, and there's complete um, protection for all for all unborn children from the from conception. Um, but that would have to be a, that would that would have to be a legal change, is what you're talking about for for fathers have to have to some kind of um, yeah. And I think it will be more important uh, after. Okay, uh, talk about that. Yeah, talk about that. The reason is, is that these uh, women will be having their children to parent. Right. And they will need their fathers. And, and so we're trying to educate these fathers on how to be a father to these children, that they are responsible and accountable and missioned by God mm-hmm. to parent their child. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whether they're with the mother of their their child or not they still have a responsibility so therefore legally we need to change that and ensure that the father does have a right to parent their child and make it a lot easier because as you heard there's funding for women but there's not any funding for these fathers basically mm-hmm. yes at our pregnancy resource centers we help the fathers just like we have the mothers but there needs to be more funding available for fatherhood wouldn't it make sense? Wouldn't it seem to make sense that the resources should be, or maybe more resources, in a sense, should be directed to people who decide to make a commitment to marriage and decide to keep their family intact? That they should actually, there should programs should be designed to encourage people to to do that rather than, as we said, perversely encourage them not to do the the right thing, not to follow God's plan, right? That is true. That is definitely true. And one thing that also we hear from women a lot of times in terms of not knowing any better in terms of abortion is that it's legal. Because it's legal, then they they should they can do it. Right. But again, there are a lot of things that are legal that you shouldn't do. That's right. Just because you know, it's legal doesn't mean it's right. You no, know, it's is very dangerous in in and what has happened with smoking mm-hmm. and how it damages and affects your body. Right. But it's legal, you know? Right. Drinking, you know, so there are a lot of things there. So when we talk about educating and that's what we're doing with Embrace Life Initiative. We're coaching, mm-hmm. we're mentoring, and especially with the men, helping them to know how to father if they were given that opportunity how to go about parenting this child, even if they're not with the mother. It sounds but, like a, a, an important part of your educational mission, based on what you said about what's not happening in churches, which is an encouragement and a, of the pro-life message and a preaching on that. Some, uh, I'm sure a, an important element would be educating pastors, right? Educating uh, ministers yes. to... Yes. Here, here, here is the truth about God's plan for life, and and what here's what Scripture says, and Christian Christian tradition. Um, 
speak to this. Can you, can you talk about that, yes. that effort? Yes, that is exactly where we start and started is in the churches, uh, uh, helping their ministries, especially their women ministries, their Bible study, their youth group to understand um, that this is uh, where we needed to start. And in talking with the churches, I find that in the Catholic Church, we've had numerous uh, programs, you know, Rachel's Vineyard, uh, uh, Gabriel Project, Project, but we've not had those programs in the Protestant churches. Mm-hmm. We do have Protestant churches that are, are, are with pastors who will talk from the pulpit about pro-life, but not a lot mm-hmm. of pastors that are are openly comfortable in the pulpit for talking. One of the things that people need to know is that Planned Parenthood uh, subsidized a lot of times churches. They get in the door wow. and they and keep their lights on and whatever they need. That's so therefore, just don't talk about it. Insidious. One of the things that um, I wanted to share mm. with you is the documentary that I watched was called My Offer 21. Yes. And it goes back to what happened and how Planned Parenthood got its start with Margaret Sanger and the eugenics movement. And understanding it's all about population control and it was for the unfit mm-hmm. it was for the plan to annihilate our culture mm-hmm. it is about genocide of the 21st century in the black community mm-hmm. and that's why it's so important that we educate the black community and the black churches so because the name of the, the name of this film F-A. is sorry debbie the name of this film is M-A-A-F-A-21, MAFA 21, and the subtitle is, like you said, Black Genocide in 21st Century America. Before you tell a little bit more about it, where can people view it? They can actually go on YouTube and and view it there. They can actually uh, 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 get the DVD with the documentary. Okay. It's truly a documentary which shows all the things and all the people that were involved, uh, which Margaret Sanger, who really was the one who uh, uh, started Planned Parenthood here, changed the name to Planned Parenthood so that people would be fooled. And once again, we talk about the, mm-hmm. the marketing tools that they use. It's about a baby meal. It's about money. Mm-hmm. And we don't know this. When I say we, we're talking about the black community mm-hmm. are not educated on the fact that the whole agenda is to annihilate our race, to understand that our population is not growing. Why right. is it not growing? We're having more abortions. Mm-hmm. Who knows in all of the abortions that we've had? Who knows what those individuals could have become and would have done for this world? And God knew. God knows. But we don't. And how are we as individuals making these decisions about life? Only God gives life and only God should be the one taking it away. That is my opinion. And I can tell you that my offer 21 will really open your eyes. You will really have an opportunity to find out the true history of Planned Parenthood, the true agenda 
if you go back to North Carolina and see how the eugenists uh, uh, sterilize individuals, and then you try to understand why black communities, and especially men, are are not as trustworthy of the white community and what the white man is saying and doing. It's because of history. It's because how they've been treated. Right now, a baby in the womb is inhumane, just like slavery. And that's exactly. how the comes in this. Is that is not a human being. We so have to make that deal. connection. We have to make that historical parallel. That is yes. absolutely yes. true. Yes, yes. And, and, you know, I know that Sunday we celebrate Corpus Christi Sunday, and part of what gives me the strength and energy and encouragement is the Eucharist, is knowing uh, that God, <clears throat> when he sent his son at the Last Supper, said, this is my body. And therefore, receiving that Eucharist and knowing that God is giving me the energy and the encouragement and the inspiration and what I need to help our organization and our organization to help our community to do the things that we need to do to open the doors, to talk about the elephant in the room and to make a difference and not just talk about making a difference, but to actually get out there and uh, walk the walk, not just Debbie. Walk I'm, the I'm so glad that you brought up Corpus Christi, and we have about four minutes. I also okay. wanted to maybe end on a on a hopeful note, um, an inspirational note, and let you talk about um, Juneteenth, which is coming up. Um, what that holiday is, what it means for Black Texans, especially, and you know how you see embrace carrying on the legacy of of Juneteenth. Okay. Well, Juneteenth marks the day when the federal troops arrived in Galveston, Texas in 1865, two years later, after um, the emancipation, uh, to take control of the state and ensure that all enslaved people were free. Mm-hmm. So, uh, of course, this year, Juneteenth is on Father's Day. And as we celebrate fatherhood, we contribute uh, our fathers and father figures to families mm-hmm. and society that. Uh, our liberty has been granted from God that allows imperfect human beings to embody the most sacred relationship, which is fatherhood and fa- fathering their children. Yeah. So in talking about Juneteenth and understanding the freedom <clears throat> that uh, was marked in 1865, we celebrate here. Um, it's important for us as Embrace Life to understand that Slaves were treated inhumanely. That's the reason they were treated the way they were, because they were seen as not human beings. They were not equal. Well, what are we doing now to the unborn? We're treating that unborn once again as um, inhumane, Mm -hmm. and that it's okay to uh, kill our babies in the womb. So therefore, on Juneteenth, we are educating individuals on what can we do? How can we change this? We're constantly asking for prayer. We're asking for support. We're asking people to mobilize, you know, to actually help our students for life or start a student for life on these campuses that need one. To realize that women are dying from abortion as well as killing their babies. 
to ask questions, you know, to talk to their pastors at their church and, and about things. We want to collaborate with everyone, the leaders, the politicians, the pastors, the community. Um, we want to empower others to help change this culture. And definitely in the Black community, we know that we must focus our time on life. And that's what we're looking forward to embrace is everybody being able to understand how important life is every day, that God is the one who gives us life. God is the one who will take it away if that is his wish. Yes. Well, Debbie, let's close by uh, asking you to, again, give people the, the website, how they can support Embrace. Okay. Our website is uh, friendsofembrace.org. You go on there, you'll learn more about who we are, what our mission is, and how to support us financially as well. Because in order for us to continue our mission, we do need financial support. Okay. I really thank all of you for this opportunity. Thank you, Debbie. And, and we'll, we'll talk again. Thanks so much. Have a, have a wonderful sure. day. And you've been listening to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Thaddeus Romanski. Pam Marvin will be with you next week. And we ask you to, uh, when weighing the values of heaven and earth, always round up.